Book the Six, Part Five of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Sixth, Part Five. The castle tonight was as gloomy as the meads. As Havel had explained, the habitable rooms were just now undergoing a scour, and the main block of buildings was empty even of the few servants who had been retained they having for comfort's sake taken up their quarters in the detached rooms adjoining the entrance archway. Hence not a single light shone from the lonely windows, at which ivy leaves tapped like woodpeckers, moved by gusts that were numerous and contrary rather than violent. Within the walls all was silence, chaos and obscurity, till towards eleven o'clock, when the thick immovable cloud that had dulled the daytime broke into a scudding fleece, through which the moon afforded her way as a nebulous spot of watery white, sending light enough, though of a rayless kind, into the castle chambers to show the confusion that reigned there. At this time an eye might have noticed a figure flitting in and about those trafty apartments, and making no more noise in so doing than a puff of wind. Its motion, hither and thither, was rapid, but methodical, its bearing absorbed, yet cautious. Though it ran more or less through all the principal rooms, the chief scene of its operations was the long gallery overlooking the pleasance, which was covered by an ornamental wood and plaster roof, and contained a whole throng of family portraits, besides heavy old cabinets and the like. The portraits, which were of value as works of art, were smaller than these, and hung in adjoining rooms. The manifest occupation of the figure was that of removing these small and valuable pictures from other chambers to the gallery in which the rest were hung, and piling them in a heap in the midst. Included in the group were nine by Sir Peter Lely, five by Van Dyck, four by Cornelius Jensen, one by Salvador Rosa, remarkable as being among the few English portraits ever painted by that master, many by Nella, and two by Romney. Apparently by accident, the light being insufficient to distinguish them from portraits, the figure also brought a Raffaelli, Virgin and Child, a magnificent Tintoretto, a Titian, and a Giorgione. On these was laid a large collection of enamelled miniature portraits of the same illustrious line, afterwards tapestries and cushions embroidered with the initials de S, and next the cradle presented by Charles I to the contemporary de Stancy mother, till at length there arose in the middle of the floor a huge heap containing most of what had been personal and peculiar to members of the Distancy family, as distinct from general furniture. Then the figure went from door to door, and threw open each that was unfastened. It next proceeded to a room on the ground floor, a present fitted up as a carpenter's shop, and knee-deep in shavings. An armful of these was added to the pile of objects in the gallery. A window at each end of the gallery is opened, causing a brisk draught along the walls. And then the activity of the figure ceased, and it was seen no more. Five minutes afterwards, a light shone upon the lawn from the windows of the long gallery, which glowed with more brilliancy than it had known in the meridian of its Caroline splendours. Thereupon, the framed gentleman in the lace collar seemed to open his eyes more widely, he with the flowing locks and turn-up moustachios to part his lips, he in the armour, who was so much like Captain de Stancy, to shake the plates of his mail with suppressed laughter, the lady with the three-stringed pearl necklace and vast expanse of neck, to nod with satisfaction and triumphantly signify to her adjoining husband 
that this was a meet and glorious end. The flame increased, and, blown upon by the wind, roared round the pictures, the tapestries, and the cradle, up to the plaster ceiling, and through it into the forest of oak timbers above. The best sitting-room at the Lord Quantock Arms in Markton was as cosy as this evening as a room can be that lacks the minuter furniture on which cosiness so largely depends. By the fire sat Paula and Somerset, the former with a shawl round her shoulders to keep off the draught, which, despite the curtains, forced its way in on this gusty night through the windows opening upon the balcony. Paula held a letter in her hand, the contents of which formed the subject of their conversation. Happy as she was in her general situation, there was for the nonce a tear in her eye. My ever dear Paula, ran the letter, your last letter has just reached me, and I have followed your account of your travels and intentions with more interest than I can tell. You, who know me, need no assurance of this. At the present moment, however, I am in the whirl of a change that has resulted from a resolution taken some time ago, but concealed from almost everybody till now. Why? Well, I will own, from cowardice, fear, lest I should be reasoned out of my plan. I am going to steal from the world, Paula, from the social world, for whose gaieties and ambitions I never have much liking, and whose circles I have not the ability to grace. My home, and resting place till the great rest comes, is with the Protestant sisterhood at... Whatever shortcomings may be found in such a community, I believe that I shall be happier there than in any other place. Whatever you may think of my judgment in taking this step, I can assure you that I have not done it without consideration. My reasons are good, and my determination is unalterable. But, my own very best friend, and more than sister, don't think that I mean to leave my love and friendship for you behind me. No, Paula, you will always be with me, and I believe that if an increase in what I already feel for you to be possible, it will be furthered by the retirement and meditation I shall enjoy in my secluded home. My heart is very full, dear, too full to write more. God bless you and your husband. You must come and see me there. I have not so many friends that I can afford to lose you who have been so kind. I write this with the fellow pen to yours that you gave me when we went to Budmouth together. Goodbye. Ever your own sister, Charlotte. Paula had first read this through silently, and now in reading it a second time aloud to Somerset, her voice faltered and she wept outright. I have been expecting her to live with us always, she said through her tears, and to think she should have decided to do this. It is a pity, certainly, said Somerset gently. She was genuine, if anybody ever was, and simple as she was true. I am the more sorry, Paula presently resumed, because of a little plan I have been thinking of with regard to her. You know that the pictures and curiosities of the castle are not included in the things I cannot touch, or impeach, or whatever it is. They are our own, to do what we like with. My father felt in devising the estate that, however interesting to the distancy those objects might be, they did not concern us, were indeed rather in the way, having been come by so strangely through Mr. Wilkins, though too valuable to be treated lightly. Now I was going to suggest that we would not sell them. Indeed, I could not bear to do such a thing with what had belonged to Charlotte's forefathers. 
but to hand them over to her as a gift, either to keep for herself or to pass on to her brother, as she should choose. Now I fear there is no hope of it, and yet I shall never like to see them in the house. It can be done still, I should think. She can accept them for her brother when he settles, without absolutely taking them into her own possession. It would be a kind of generosity which hardly amounts to more than justice, although they were purchased, from a recusant usurper to a dear friend. Not that I am a usurper, exactly. Well, from a representative of the new aristocracy of internationality to a representative of the old aristocracy of exclusiveness. What do you call yourself, Paula, since you are not of your father's creed? I suppose I am what poor Mr. Woodwell said. By the way, we must call and see him. Something or other that's in revelation, neither cold nor hot. But of course that's a subspecies. I may be a lukewarm anything. What I really am, as far as I know, is one of that body to whom lukewarmth is not an accident but a provisional necessity, till they see a little more clearly. She crossed over to his side, and pulling his head towards her, whispered a name in his ear. Why, Mr. Woodwell said you were that too. You carry your beliefs very comfortably. I shall be glad when enthusiasm is come again. I am going to revise and correct my beliefs one of these days when I have thought a little further. She suddenly breathed a sigh and added, How transitory our best emotions are! In talking of myself I am heartlessly forgetting Charlotte and becoming happy again. I won't be happy tonight for her sake. A few minutes after this their attention was attracted by a noise of footsteps running along the street, then a heavy tramp of horses and lumbering of wheels. Other feet were heard scampering at intervals, and soon somebody ascended the staircase and approached their door. The head waiter appeared. Ma'am, Stancy Castle is all afire, said the waiter breathlessly. Somerset jumped up, drew aside the curtains, and stepped into the bow window. Right before him rose a blaze. The window looked upon the street and along the turnpike road to the very hill on which the castle stood, the keep being visible in the daytime above the trees. Here rose the light, which appeared little further off than a stone's throw instead of nearly three miles. Every curl of the smoke and every wave of the flame was distinct, and Somerset fancied he could hear the crackling. Paula had risen from her seat and joined him in the window, where she heard some people in the street saying that the servants were all safe after which she gave her mind more fully to the material aspects of the catastrophe. The whole town was now rushing off to the scene of the conflagration, which, shining straight along the street, showed the Burgess's running figures distinctly upon the illumined road. Paula was quite ready to act upon Somerset's suggestion that they too should hasten to the spot, and a fly was got ready in a few minutes. With lapse of time, Paula evinced more anxiety as to the fate of her castle, and when they had driven as near as it was prudent to do, they dismounted and went on foot into the throng of people which was rapidly gathering from the town and surrounding villages. Among the faces they recognised Mr. Woodwell, Havill the architect, the rector of the parish, the curate, and many others known to them by sight. These, as soon as they saw the young couple, came forward with words of condolence, imagining them to have been burnt out of bed, and vied with each other in offering them a lodging. Somerset explained where they were staying, and they, they required no accommodation. Paula interrupting with, Oh, my poor horses, what has become of them? The fire is not near the stables, said Mr. Woodwell. It broke out in the body of the building. The horses, however, are driven into the field. I can assure you, you need not be alarmed, madam, said Havel, 
The chief constable is here and the two town engines, and I'm doing all I can. The castle engine, unfortunately, is out of repair. Somerset and Paula then went on to another point of view, near the gymnasium, where they could not be seen by the crowd. Three quarters of a mile off, on their left hand, a powerful irradiation fell upon the brick chapel in which Somerset had first seen the woman who now stood beside him as his wife. It was the only object visible in that direction, the dull hills and trees behind failing to catch the light. She significantly pointed it out to Somerset, who knew her meaning, and they turned again to the more serious matter. It had long been apparent that in the face of such a wind, all the pygmy appliances that the populace could bring to act upon such a mass of combustion would be unavailing. As much as could burn that night was burnt, while some of that which would not burn crumbled and fell as a formless heap, whence new flames towered up and inclined to the northeast so far as to singe the trees of the park. The thicker walls of Normandate remained unmoved, partly because of their thickness, and partly because in them stone vaults took the place of wood floors. The tower clock kept manfully going till it had struck one, its face smiling out from the smoke as if nothing were the matter, after which hour something fell down inside, and it went no more. Cunningham Hayes, with his body of men, was devoted in his attention, and came up to say a word to our two spectators from time to time. Towards four o'clock the flames diminished, and feeling thoroughly weary, Somerset and Paula remained no longer, returning to Markton as they had come. On their journey they pondered and discussed what course it would be best to pursue in the circumstances, gradually deciding not to attempt rebuilding the castle, unless they were absolutely compelled. True, the main walls were still standing as firmly as ever, but there was a feeling, common to both of them, that it would be well to make an opportunity of a misfortune, and, leaving the edifice in ruins, start their married life in a mansion of independent construction, hard by the old one, unencumbered with the ghosts of an unfortunate line. We will build a new house from the ground, eclectic in style. We will remove the ashes, charred wood and so on from the ruin, and plant more ivy. The winter rains will soon wash the unsightly smoke from the walls, and Stancy Castle will be beautiful in its decay. You, Paula, will be yourself again and recover, if you have not already, from the warp given to your mind, according to Woodwell, by the medievalism of that place. And be a perfect representative of the modern spirit, she inquired, representing neither the senses and understanding, nor the heart and imagination, but what a finished writer calls the imaginative reason. Yes, for since it is rather in your line, you may as well keep straight on. Very well, I'll keep straight on, and we'll build a new house beside the ruin and show the modern spirit for ever. George, I wish... Paula repressed a sigh. Well? I wish my castle wasn't burnt, and I wish you were a distancy. End of Book the Sixth, Part Five End of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy